Welcome to Free Thoughts from Libertarianism.org and the Cato Institute. I'm Aaron Powell. And I'm Trevor Burrus. And joining us today is Daniel Beer, executive editor of The Skeptical Libertarian. Welcome to Free Thoughts. Happy to be here. What is The Skeptical Libertarian? The Skeptical Libertarian uh, is a project that I started um, maybe five years ago with a couple of friends of mine to be uh, a sort of counterweight to the conspiratorial mindset um, that seems to be prevalent in certain parts of the libertarian movement, sort of as an explicit project to oppose the uh, sort of Alex Joneses of uh, the libertarian community. Do you think that that kind of uh, conspiratorial libertarianism is more common than we would like to believe? I guess here, especially Cato and and, uh, and people in the Beltway and stuff. I, I I do think so. I think that in the Beltway, everybody knows. Everybody everybody knows is a sophisticated, uh, basically liberal, tolerant, uh, you know bourgeois uh, type of personality and I think that you know outside of the beltway, outside of the policy circles, I think that uh, conspiratorial ideas really do drive a lot of the public discourse, not not just for libertarians but um, you know also for leftists and conservatives. Uh, and so I think that if I were a leftist or a conservative, I would also be concerned about conspiracy theories uh, being promoted in in my community. But I happen to believe that you know small government, limited you know limited government and free markets um, really do have something to offer. And so I'm very concerned when I see uh, bad ideas uh, attaching themselves to good ideas. And so when we you know it's it it handicaps us. And it also allows us to give credibility to uh, lots of other bad ideas that I don't want to see promoted any more than you know statism. Were you a skeptic who became a libertarian or a libertarian who became a skeptic? I think I'd have to say that uh, uh, libertarianism seems to be hereditary. You know, my my dad was a libertarian, and I I grew up, you know, reading Reason magazine and Liberty magazine. Um, so I. I think I've always had uh, a predisposition towards being skeptical of government power, um, and I think my my personal interest in skepticism, uh, the skeptical movement, um, started when, at a I'd say a fairly impressionable age, I came across nine uh, eleven conspiracy theories, which uh, nobody really talks about anymore, but used to be a really hot topic, particularly among libertarians and uh, associated forces. And uh, I remember hearing people explain all the all these reasons why George Bush was behind 9-11 and I thought, whoa, if that's true, you know, that would be really important for us to know that. And this, this would fundamentally change my uh, view of the U.S. government and, and what it does. You know, I'd, I'd always been skeptical of U.S. foreign policy. But if the United States government is actually carrying out terrorist attacks um, and there really isn't you know, a threat of blowback from U.S. intervention, then this fundamentally turns my view of the world and how the government operates, you know, vast conspiracies, not just incompetence and bad ideas, really turns it all on its head. And so I spent really an inordinate amount of time trying to track down and verify all these claims that I was finding. Uh, promoted by libertarian and anti-war people. 
And I, I came to realize that they were all pretty much all completely false, uh, misleading or outright lies. Um, and they were being sort of cynically promoted because it, uh, they were a way to take George Bush down a peg. Um, they were a way to sort of smear the government and Republicans and uh, sort of discredit uh, the Iraq war and, and so forth. And certain people seem to believe that, uh, you know, you can do anything for a good cause and it doesn't matter. Um, but I came to realize that, you know, the, the cost that we were inflicting on ourselves by, you know, if not promoting these theories, then tolerating them, um, pretending that they don't exist um, and uh, allowing them to flourish under the umbrella of the anti-war and libertarian movements, we were inflicting real costs on ourselves, which was that, you know, when Ron Paul got up and said, you know, you know, we, we shouldn't be involved in all these countries, we shouldn't be, you know, uh, you know, bombing Iraq for 20 years, um, you know, the question, the response that he got was, he's crazy. Uh, and people, people didn't take him seriously, because so many of his supporters were 9-11 conspiracy theorists. And so the conversation kept getting turned to, do you think that a missile hit the Pentagon rather than what do you think we should be doing uh, to defend the United States? And, you know, what do you think about our foreign policy? And so our real concerns, our serious concerns, were continually being diverted by these nonsensical and paranoid conspiracies. And, uh, you know, that was the real point when I realized that it's not it's not enough to simply ignore them, to not promote them. It's that we really need something to push back against these ideas to say libertarianism is not about, you know, any idea that's anti-government. It's actually about explicit, specific, uh, reasonable, rational beliefs uh, and uh, and and not about just anything that's anti-state. So I'm curious as you were studying all of these and reading up on these conspiracy theories and finding that they weren't true, did you find any that were? Did you go in – were there any that you went in thinking here's another one for me to debunk and decided it was probably true? Um, I, I would say no. Um, I it you know it it turned out that uh, you know the CIA was you know I, I read quite a bit about the history of the CIA and and what we you know know with pretty good certainty they were doing for uh, decades um, in many different countries overseas um, you know things like MK Ultra um, and uh, and you know very unethical uh, you know. Uh, tactics that they were using, and so I, I, you know, I, I ended up having, I think, a much, a much more negative view of uh, the U.S. government and the CIA. But I didn't end up having any more positive view of conspiracy theorists because they, conspiracy theorists, did not uncover, you know, what J. Edgar Hoover was doing or what the CIA was doing. You know, all of those were uncovered, uh, you know, in the course of normal journalistic investigation. It wasn't a lot of people sitting around in their basements, you know, speculating and connecting, you know, random fragments and and uh, quote mining public figures and creating these elaborate conspiracies. It was just that when government operates in secret, it doesn't magically become more ethical or more competent than what it does in public. So I, I think I ended up as a result of these, you know, investigations, I ended up being 
quite a bit more uh, quite a bit more skeptical of our our government. Um, but that just sort of reinforced the need for me to differentiate between uh, you know claims that are well supported and claims that aren't because bec- you know because the government does in secret a lot of terrible, awful, unethical uh, things. And it's really important when we when we accuse the government of doing that uh, that we not allow we not open ourselves up to being dismissed as merely conspiracy theorists because we latch on to every claim of the government doing something unethical. Now, a while back, we had uh, Jesse Walker on Free Thoughts, who's written a book about conspiracy theories, and one of the things we discussed is. What is a conspiracy theorist, especially because sometimes things are conspiracies in some basic meaning of the word. People did get together and meet and decide to expand the Vietnam War to Cambodia, things like this. So do you have a definition for, for purposes that you use of what a conspiracy theorist is? Yeah, that's a that's a really great episode and I, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, and Jesse's book is, is also excellent, so I highly recommend that. Uh, I think that it's pretty difficult uh, to nail down what a conspiracy theory is. Um, one definition that's I've come across that's more or less I think is more or less functional uh, is uh, a conspiracy that has not been uh, uncovered already. Uh, that is not public knowledge is not being reported on in the mainstream press. Uh, a, a secret conspiracy um, that that has not been uncovered or is not generally acknowledged to exist. Uh, and so it is a prediction, um, a conspiracy theory as a prediction about something that has not yet been uncovered. It's sort of connecting disconnected bits of information uh, and postulating a conspiracy for which there is not direct evidence. Does this mean then that your conspiracy theorist sitting in his basement updating his blog based on connecting potentially tenuous dots retroactively becomes a journalist if other journalists start covering what he's doing? I would say no. Um, but but this this does sort of raise the uh, – this, this gets back to the problem of defining conspiracy theories and conspiracism. Um, it's that conspiratorial thinking is not – it's not segregated to some section of the population that's just – you know, sitting around in their mother's basements, uh, you know, uh, googling random pictures and you know finding triangles in them. Uh, you know, the the reasons that people construct conspiracy theories, uh, you know, is the same logic that leads uh, leads us to all sorts of erroneous beliefs. Um, you know, conspiratorial thinking is a problem. Because it encourages us to think that complex phenomenon, you know, especially social phenomenon or widespread phenomenon, are the result of design. That we think that just because something happened, it happened for a reason, and that reason is intention. That something happened on purpose because somebody wanted it to. And of course, you know, when bad things happen, people assume they just carry this logic on that somebody wanted something bad to happen. And there's very few people who are willing to come out and admit, say, yeah, we we engineered this bad thing, this bad thing to happen. We engineered terrorism to happen um, or we engineered, you know, oil prices to skyrocket or, or something like that. Or we, engi- or we engineered a pandemic. Well, it seems like- um, but so this is where the conspiracy part comes into it. The assumption that 
people are hiding their motives, that they are secretly conspiring to accomplish uh, everything that we see in the world. Well, it seems like part of this would be – is Aaron's question about a, a conspiracy theorist who happens to be correct as, as a reporter. Uh, but you don't – someone could just happen to be correct for very poor or bad reasons. I mean one of Alex Jones's theories might be correct or just – but for poor reasons. So he's still a conspiracy theorist who happened to be correct. It seems like the best way of, of thinking about that. Because it's as much about the process of having good reasons to believe something as it is about whether or not it is a conspiracy or not. Sure, sure, and you know anybody can be accidentally correct about anything, uh, and so you know the, I you know it's it's really about the process that people use to arrive at their beliefs, and so you you can have very scrupulous, you know, rigorous scientific study um, that leads to erroneous beliefs. You know, we have. You know, when we do tests for statistical significance, for instance, we use 95 percent confidence that this effect is real. Well, if you publish – if you conduct 20 studies, one of them is going to erroneously find the effect to be real. So you can use the best statistical methods and, and scientific rigor you, we have and still arrive at false beliefs. And at, you know, by the same token, you can use the worst reasoning, the most paranoid assumptions and – the most, uh, I'd say, really profligate dot connecting, um, and and happen to be sort of correct. You know, if you assume that the CIA is doing something really evil and unethical at this moment, and they're not telling us about it, you're probably right in some sense. Um, but that doesn't do very much for us. And when you specifically claim things that you have no good reason to believe are true, you know, it's just. That is not a good way to approach these questions. So it really is about the process you use to arrive at your beliefs, not about the beliefs themselves. In addition to the idea of trying to find a, a like a large or purpose or a big causal reason behind things that happen in the world, as you mentioned, such as nine eleven, it is often it often seems to me that conspiracy theorists have a very personal reason for being a conspiracy theorist in the sense that. They really enjoy it or they they like the status that they feel that they have because they know the truth in a sort of a, almost a revealed type of sense like knowing that Jesus is the prophet of God or, or something like this, that it makes them feel really good uh, and it's sort, of, so it's very self-centered in a way. Do, do you find that too? Uh, yeah, I mean I, I do. There is a certain amount of uh, sort of Gnosticism, you know, that you have the secret knowledge that nobody else knows, and uh, you know, it's it feels good to know what's going on in the world, uh, particularly if if most people don't, and uh, and so it's sort of a self reinforcing narrative because if people don't believe you, well, that's precisely what your theory predicts: is that people are deluded and they're easily misled. And uh, when the scientists don't back you up, your conspiracy theory that the scientists are all in on it, uh, you know, is is con is confirmed. Then you can also feel better than everyone else for not being a deluded person. Well, but sure, I sure sure sure. But I I, I want to say you know my my objection to conspiratorial thinking is is not against this group of conspiracy theorists. There certainly is a conspiracy theory subculture, um, but. I think that you know, sort of mainstream liberal, you know, left-wing people—they have certain sort of conspiratorial, you know, 
beliefs about the Koch brothers. Um, and so I think they would listen to this podcast. You know, we're all part of the Koktopus. Um, and, you know, they would they would postulate, you know, some sort of nefarious conspiracy by billionaires and millionaires to, you know, mislead the American public about free markets and, and free trade. So I think there is this belief, you know, this this feeling of knowing what's going on and feeling superior because you're not being misled. Uh, I, I don't think it's restricted to conspiracy theorists, this subculture that we talk about. I think that it's it's common to a lot of different um, political factions. Right. I mean, I was going to say, like, this is where we have to get careful with drawing lines because if you describe people who think they're clued in and that the rest of the world is being misled or doesn't understand it and rejects your ideas, you've just described libertarians. Uh, I mean, it, that applies. Or I was thinking, as you were talking about, I was thinking like that sounds a lot like economics professors. You can make, you uh, can, the, the list is endless. Yeah, really. like, but I wanted to ask about. So, this is your your site is about skepticism, which is a bit broader than simply conspiracy theories. And a lot of what you talk about is not just conspiracy theories, but scientific issues genetically modified organisms, those kind of things. And so what I was curious about is when you were talking about the harm of conspiracy theories, the way you're describing it, it was harm in the aggregate. So it was, you know, if we allow or we don't push back on these tons and tons of poorly reasoned ideas, then when good ideas are expressed, they get lost in the noise or can be dismissed as crying wolf or whatever. Um, but that the individual ones are not necessarily as harmful. But it seems like a lot of the the other kinds of things that you talk about on skeptical libertarianism are more freestanding harms, like we're not going to vaccinate our children or we're going to reject these foods. Um, is this is there anything there? Sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, so the sort of broader philosophical justification for the skeptical libertarian project is. Uh, we should oppose unsupported conspiratorial ideas because they're wrong and tactically because they make it difficult to have an honest conversation about the real problems we're facing. But the way to do that is you really do have to address specific concerns that people have. You have to address people's uh, specific ideas about, you know, vaccines, about scientists, about uh, pharmaceutical drugs about HIV, about GMOs, there's just sort of an endless series of uh, very harmful beliefs that are being propagated um, and they do seem to flourish particularly among people who are skeptical of the government because if the government comes along and says HIV causes AIDS and you should take these countermeasures, uh, then people who believe that the government is always lying to us about everything will instantly become skeptical of that and the people who say the government is lying about HIV or about GMOs will come over and to say will come over and say hey you're right to be skeptical in fact GMOs cause cancer and uh, and all of these pesticides are poisoning us and they're poisoning your children and vaccines are causing autism and all sorts of um sort of gastroenteritis you know uh, uh, sort of gastric distress in children. And those are all really horrible, horrible uh, claims if they were true. Unfortunately, they're not. Uh, and so, but you really do have to address each one on its own merits. I can't just, 
expect people to be, you know, on principle opposed to conspiracy theories in the aggregate because it's very difficult for people to tell the difference between what's a unsupported irrational conspiracy theory and, and what's not. So you really do have to look at the evidence. If it were true that the evidence said that vaccines are a conspiracy, uh, you know, to poison us and they're causing all these sorts of problems, then, then that would have a lot of logical implications. One of which is the government should stop requiring people to be vaccinated to send their kids to school and doing all these other sorts of things to promote vaccination. Um, you know, it, the facts really do matter. And so you have to address each one of these separately. So, you know, in the aggregate, they make it difficult to have uh, productive public discourse. But in the particular, they also have specific harms uh, and make specific discussions about public policy very hard to have. And how do we go about operationalizing that necessary attitude? Because I mean, I don't I don't know much about nutrition science. I don't know maybe much about the history of government covert operations, or you know, I'm not reading the medical journals on vaccines and or the sort how, of, how buildings collapse. Yeah. So there's I mean there's there's constantly sources of information coming at us all the time and People have to respond to the information they're getting, and it seems. I mean, it's a high standard to say, "Well, you know, every every fact that's stated, you need to go back to the original sources. You need to track this down. You need to assess it." So, are there, I guess, easier tests or ways to be aware that this thing that someone just shared on Facebook about GMOs or vaccines or jet fuel melting steel beams is probably wrong. Yeah, it's probably wrong. You know, it's it's a, it's just a difficult problem to solve in general because most people don't have time to uh, you know, investigate almost anything um, that they would need to know in order to make a completely rational, fully informed decision about the totality of the evidence. So, you know, it 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 really does require a certain amount of heuristics and filtering of learning what is a reliable source of evidence and what isn't. So Facebook memes are not a reliable source of evidence. Uh, that's a good as, general as, rule. You can that's go, a good that's yeah. a good general rule. Um, you know, and certain, you know, sources that tend to pander um to your worst fears and tend to promote similar sorts of claims about all sorts of things. Uh, you know, that it's a good reason it's good to be skeptical of of places like natural news uh, and, you know, Infowars and so on because they are willing to take any claim uh, of a conspiracy or of uh, dubious pseudoscientific um, nonsense about, you know, naturalism or uh, homeopathy and so forth and promote it. Uh, and they do this, um, you know, you know, they, they, they do this uh, all the time and they, they don't have very good standards of uh, – you know, journalistic standards, I'd say. Uh, so I, I, I think that when the stakes are high, we have to do a little bit more. You know, when we're talking about public policy, it's really important that we actually, you know, if HIV doesn't exist, and this is a conspiracy theory, this is a belief that people really have, and it's, you'd probably be shocked at how common it is. <laughs> um, if, if that belief is true, that would have enormous implications. And if it's false, Believing it has enormous implications. 
to, you know, individuals and to society as a whole. And so when the stakes are high, we really do have to pay close attention to uh, the types of sources that we're taking in and do a little bit more investigation to see how good the evidence is for it. Do you have any uh, words that you see, favorite words that you see quite often that indicate that probably something is BS or, or at least making a somewhat inflated claim? Uh, yeah, anything that uh, you know, any study that claims to f- have found a, an association between uh, you know anything that says there's the X is associated with Y, mm-hmm. you should instantly be skeptical of that because that means that they're just looking at two variables that uh, are closely related. So you can go and find uh, uh, you know there's an association uh, with between organic food sales and the incidence of aus- and the incidence of autism. Uh, and it would be preposterous to claim that uh, organic food causes autism. But this is precisely the kind of evidence that you're saying that use. because you're being paid by the organic food industry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm a shill for uh, for big organic and the, the non-GMO project. <laughs> but but this is but this is precisely the kind of evidence that people use to claim that vaccines cause autism. This associational uh, evidence. This big correlations between variables without any clear explanation of why they would be related. What about words like toxins? That one's always a good one for me. I pretty much think it's BS if they use the word toxins. Yes. Yeah, and anything that's non-specific like that, like poisons or toxins or or uh, you know, things things of that nature if they're not being specific. Like if somebody says vaccines cause X. Uh, well, the only thing that all vaccines have in common is that they're they produce antibodies. Uh, that's the only thing that they all have in common. So the if they're not being specific in their claim about uh, 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 what causes it and they can't explain why, uh, what causes what, then uh, always be skeptical of that. The toxins is a good one, is a good one because you know what's toxic depends on the dose. You know uh, pears have formaldehyde in them, uh, a dose. Uh, a lot higher uh, than what you'll get in a vaccine, uh, but people are scared when they hear that there's uh, you know toxins in their vaccines. Well, there's toxins in your organic fruit too, but you shouldn't be worried about either of them because what matters is the dose. So one of the things I noticed um, is that people who are self-professed skeptics, um, and there are a lot of communities of these on the internet, um, that tends to align. And maybe I'm just imagining this, so tell me if I'm wrong. But it tends to align not with libertarianism, um, but a lot of the skeptic community seems to be pretty kind of milk toast, progressive, or you know, I'm I'm a skeptic slash atheist and a reason based person, and I support Bernie Sanders, um, and and so I've always been struck by like, why is it that people who are Deeply skeptical in when they hear claims about the supernatural or they hear claims about certain kinds of science or whatever seem to suddenly become very credulous when they hear claims about how great the state works. Uh, well, I mean, I would have said that uh, the skeptic community as a whole is is actually tends to be quite uh, hard left okay. progressives. Uh, not it's not worse than I fear. Yes, no, it's it's much worse than you think. Um, so that's a that's a good question, um, and you know, sort of my 
the other part of uh, the Skeptical Libertarian Project is to try to reach out to skeptics and uh, help them, you know, extend their skepticism beyond, you know, uh, homeopathy and creationism. You know, if 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 being a skeptic to you means just, you know, opposing teaching creationism in public schools, uh, then you are, uh, dare I say it, uh, being quite quite blinkered and quite narrow in your view of of what of what the skeptical way of thinking about evidence and and facts actually requires. So I'm a libertarian not just because I think that uh you know the the, the sort of the broad utilitarian argument for free markets and uh personal liberties is, is quite strong although I do. Uh you know I also have certain um uh, you know, liberal priors that I think that people have a presumption of liberty. Um, but I, I think those liberal priors are, are shared quite broadly, um, with, uh, people on the left and, and in the United States, frankly, uh, on many, with many people on the right. And so I think the problem comes there. They don't think about government. They don't think about politics as something where facts and evidence uh, you know, where expertise, where uh, science can really be brought to bear on a, a variety of questions. Like they don't believe that social science has anything to teach us about government. And so it's entirely about uh, value judgments and what makes them feel good. Um, and so they don't, they don't think about, uh, they don't think very critically about um, what, what the political process entails. So voters are phenomenally ignorant and they're phenomenally irrational. And so we have no reason to believe that a, uh, government that's being driven by, uh, you know, voters is going to produce outcomes that, uh, are going to be to the benefit of the general welfare of society. Uh, in fact, we have a lot of good evidence that suggests that um, voters want terrible things that would be bad for all of society. And, uh, it's, it's really only certain mechanisms that we have that separate, uh, people's beliefs and prejudice from government power that, uh, you know, keeps government from operating worse than it is. But isn't there, I mean, you could take that argument in the other direction though, and you could say, yes, voters are, irrational when it comes to politics and they're largely rationally ignorant when it comes to politics. But what that means is that the really smart, rational guys of the atheism Reddit should pack up, take their katanas to Washington and be in charge and set everything straight. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an argument for technocrats, not freedom. Yes, and I, I think that is the uh, that is the assumption that um, a lot of you know, uh, you know the the million fedora march. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know the the assumption that they share that that smart people should just run the world, and uh, and we shouldn't really care too much about what the people say when the people disagree with me. Um, unfortunately, the second part of you know sort of public choice uh, economics is that the sausage of public policy. Uh, depends on the incentives of special interests and political coalitions, you know, bootleggers and Baptists, moralist crusaders and uh, narrowly self-interested uh, pressure groups. 
they're the people who really create the details of public policy. The, the voters want uh, certain things like more safety and less crime. So uh, people go to Washington and then the legislatures pass the more safety and less crime bill. And, uh, you know, and Bill Clinton signs it into law. Uh, but the details of that policy are being shaped by special interest groups uh, that, that, you know, most voters are never going to hear about, that they don't know anything about. And they the voters just want something, you know, in the very broadest sense of the word. They don't have an incentive to be informed about it, but police unions do, uh, prison guard unions do. Uh, and so the policies that are passed, you know, under the aegis of you know, doing good things for society are not the ones, you know, are, they're not being shaped by the benevolent folks at Brookings who really do care about society and value evidence quite a lot. You know, they're not, they're not, you know, driving the actual public policy either. So even if we have a bunch of technocrats who are well-meaning, um, we have no reason to believe that they're the ones who are actually going to be the ones shaping public policy. And, what happens is that those people just end up providing moral cover for, uh, you know, bootlegger Baptist coalitions. You know, they, they provide moral cover with the left. They're the Baptists for left-wing technocrats. You know, they produce policy papers about how government can reduce, you know, waste in, in Medicare. Uh, and then as a result, we get, you know, policies like Obamacare, which are not particularly rational do not particularly uh, favor, uh, you know, any anything that uh, that is being uh, found by the, uh, the the healthcare policy wonks. Uh, they're being passed because uh, you know there's a lot of established interests. We had basically three. You know, Obamacare is a perfect example because we had basically three healthcare uh, systems. We had the uh, individual insurance market, we had employer-provided health care, and we had Medicaid. And all of these groups wanted to expand, um, wanted to uh, wanted to get government handouts, wanted to get more, the Medicaid bureaucracy wanted to get more uh, money. You know, uh, insurers wanted to get more customers. They wanted to get government subsidies. And so we just said, well, we'll just do more of everything. We'll do more employer health care. We'll do more individual insurance markets. We'll subsidize that. And then we'll expand Medicaid. Um, and none of this was what Obama wanted, what Hillary wanted, what the Republicans wanted, what the free market or the single payer people wanted. Uh, and so I just don't think that we have any good reason to think that the technocrats are even in control. Now, when you come to – we talk about skepticism, trying to get skeptics to understand libertarianism, which unfortunately they don't seemingly – now we go to the other side and say libertarians who aren't skeptical enough. So you, the libertarian conspiracy theorists that we were discussing at the, at the beginning of this episode, does it seem sometimes that the, the Alex Jones type of at least self-proclaimed libertarian might be just an entirely different type of approach to why they don't like government? Because for the libertarian conspiracy theorist, it seems that they think the government is really good at being evil. So this is why you should oppose the government. Whereas my position and I think both of yours position too is that I think the government is really bad at being good and therefore you should be libertarian. And so they, they seem like two very different types of libertarianism. I, I think that's basically right. Um, but I think that it's – you know, people are 
good at maintaining cognitive dissonance. So it's it's possible to hold, you know, both the belief that George Bush is the most incompetent person ever to hold the White House. And uh, apparently it's also possible to believe that he's capable of pulling off the most insanely complicated conspiracies ever, like, you know, blowing up the uh, the levees in, in Hurricane Katrina and, uh, you know, 9-11 and, and uh, faking all of the evidence um, that they presented for, uh, you know, the war in Iraq. Uh, you know, so I, I think it's possible to hold both of these beliefs. So it's not just two opposing groups of people who each hold one idea, one idea. But I, I think that's that is basically the the problem here is that the problem with assuming that everything that is going on around us is being determined by people and being consciously planned and uh, and uh, and being designed by uh, some group of people in a room somewhere uh, is that this is a very bad description of the way the world actually works. And when you start looking at problems around the world, you start to think that certain people and bad intentions are responsible for them. So sometimes that's true um, and that often on you know small scales, but it doesn't explain most of the problems and our biggest problems, poverty, you know, global warming, disease, business cycles, unemployment. You know, these things are not being planned uh, or done on purpose. Uh, you know, poverty is not the result of the Koch brothers or, you know, malevolent rich people conspiring to wreck the economy through something called neoliberalism or trickle down economics. Uh, so having misdiagnosed the problem, you're going to misprescribe the treatment. If you see bad guys on top, you think the answer is deposing them and enthroning different people with good intentions. Um, you know, if the bad guys are... Um, you know, this is sort of Jesse Walker's idea of the enemy below. If the bad guys are 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 down below, you, you want the good guys at the top to crush them, or at least tightly monitor them so they can be crushed if they they need to be. Um, and and so, really understanding the problem with government uh, is is quite critical to understanding the solution. Uh, you know, if you think it's just bad people with bad intentions then good people with good intentions will solve the problem. But if you think it's unintended consequences of bad ideas, uh, of mistaken ideas, uh, then the answer is something very different. It's not different people. It's not Ron Paul or Bernie Sanders or somebody you think is, is, uh, has the right uh, desires for the country. Uh, it's, it's actually understanding good ideas and bad ideas and limiting the ability of bad ideas to use government to, uh, you know, uh, carry out agendas and uh, and cause really, really terrible unintended consequences. It seems like there's layers of acceptability to some extent in these things. Like we've been talking about among libertarians, um, the Alex Jones sort, which certainly doesn't represent most and the 9-11 conspiracies, which probably a lot of libertarians reject. And it seems like there's but they they still these things align ideologically like conspiracy theories and credulity about pseudoscience and whatever seems to be very tribal like if you if you talk to someone and you say do you think that gmos are harmful or not do you think we should ban gmos and they say we should ban gmos then you can probably predict with a decent amount of accuracy that they are on the political left um, and if you you know, but they don't necessarily like. There's there's a layer of political left conspiracy that goes higher, which might be, um, 
I don't know, like corporations control everything or the the Koch brothers are really in charge of the country. Um, on the on the conservative side, you might have it the kind of acceptable thing like Mexico is sending people over and it's doing bad stuff to the country versus like Obama is the secret Muslim. But again, they seem to be pretty predictive. Uh, and so the question is among libertarians, are there pseudoscience or conspiracy-oriented views that are of that kind of more palatable and more acceptable among reasonable people things than the you know, really out there 9-11 was done by the US government um, but are in that way predictive of libertarianism or more unique to libertarians? The one that comes to mind immediately is like paleo diet. You mean, you, mean, you mean in terms of the fact that, that there's like, a conspiracy theory behind the FDA's like food tree by itself? Yeah, but just the idea like is there – are there ones that – so we can say – we can sit around and be like, well, you know, we're, we're all libertarians here and libertarians here. There's those out there guys at Infowars but most of us are pretty reasonable and don't believe this kind of silly stuff. But are there ones that look more like the kind of common beliefs among leftists about organic food or the more common beliefs among conservatives about immigrants that are common specifically to libertarians? Well, you know, libertarians, because we overlap, uh, you know, a bit with the right and a bit with the left, um, it actually tends to be a little more profligate, uh, you know, a little more uh, promiscuous with the conspiracy theories that we borrow from each one. So I think that you actually end up with a little bit of everything or a lot of everything in some cases of uh, sort of right-wing and left-wing uh, conspiracy theories. So I think um, – so uh, Jonathan Haidt has this theory about moral foundations where uh, people on the right are allegedly more you – know, they, they score high on this purity concern. They're very worried about keeping things pure. So they worry a lot about sex and drugs. Uh, and, but you know, people on the left, they worry about uh, GMOs and, and, and food purity and, and so forth, except you know, when you go to Chipotle. That's, that's <laughs> not, as, not, not as big a concern there for some reason. Um, but I, I think that there are some beliefs that are quite a bit more – some conspiratorial ideas that are quite a bit more common for libertarians. And I think they tend to center around uh, foreign policy. Uh, and I think it's it's quite a bit more common among libertarians uh, to uh, to uh, accept that what the, the U.S. government is doing overseas uh, and in various countries around the world is actually malevolent, is actually the result of their desire to do harm uh, to you know Iraqis and Muslims and and so forth. And I think that that is that actually doesn't describe the motivations of the neoconservatives or the sort of left-wing um, benign imperialists very well. Uh, I, I don't think that uh, it's, you know, people say George Bush lied uh, to get us into the Iraq war, for instance. And so that, this is a common belief on the left too. Um, but I think that mostly what they were lying about was that they were lying about their confidence, about the quality of the information they had. Uh, so to the extent they were lying, it was that they were exaggerating how certain they knew uh, that there were weapons of mass destruction there and that there were links to terrorism. So uh, – but as far as manu deliberately manufacturing false ev evidence and fabricating you know, wiretaps and so forth, I don't think that that really describes how the US foreign policy establishment works. And uh, but I, I do find those beliefs to be more common on the right than the left because uh, 
I mean, uh, more common among libertarians than the right or the left because the right and the left sort of uh, trade off being in charge of the uh, foreign policy establishment. So that sort of limits how critical um, the right and the left are willing to be of, uh, you know, you'll notice that the 9-11 truthers sort of disappeared right around the time that Obama became president um, because they didn't, you know, if, you know, they, they didn't want to attack Obama. It was really more about being anti-Bush. Uh, so I think that conspiracy theories and beliefs about foreign policy are sort of more common among libertarians than uh, than they are among uh, either the right or the left. Now, we, we've talked a lot about various incarnations of skepticism, which I, I can actually – I was thinking about this, imagining talking to an anti-GMO person who might describe themselves themselves as a skeptic about and you know not we kind of see that as conspiratorial but they probably see it as skepticism and we've kind of touched on it in this episode but but properly conceived what do you think is the the best relationship between skepticism and libertarianism what what is the best way to do it to do it correctly as opposed to find yourself uh, going off the rails i think that the belief um that, uh, you know, that we're the true skeptics because we don't believe what, uh, the FDA or the American Medical Association says. Uh, you know, I, I think that that actually results from a misunderstanding of what the conventional wisdom actually is. I think that the conventional wisdom really is, uh, that secret malevolent forces, that there's large groups of people conspiring against the common man. I think that that is an extremely common mindset and perspective on the way that the world works. And seeing past that and seeing the nuance and the complexity uh, of what's going on in the world and what is causing, you know, the problems that we face, uh, you know, it requires re rejecting this sort of conventional intuition about how the world works. So, as far as how uh, the proper the proper relationship between skepticism and and libertarianism, you know, I I think that uh, the the right way to be uh, skeptical about government is to require demand a lot of evidence, demand very high burdens of proof uh, from the government uh, when it is uh, trying to restrict our liberties demand that they prove beyond a reasonable doubt that what they are doing, uh, you know, is justified and that this can't be handled by, uh, you know, free people in a free society. Thank you for listening. Free Thoughts is produced by Evan Banks and Mark McDaniel. To learn more, find us on the web at www.libertarianism.org.